Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And as listeners of the show know, I really have been fascinated by the AI conversation, um, generative AI and all things that can kind of inform where not only our practices go in the classroom as educators, uh, but the future of learning and work for our students. And so I'm really excited today to connect with Eric Berry, who is a co-founder of CurePod. Uh, and we're going to feature CurePod, his work there as a part of that effort and the tech tool that I would hope to point all of our listeners to to check out, because I think that as classroom practitioners, uh, this is a great tool that you can use to start up your next school year, right? So you're probably listening to this over the course of the summer, looking for what that next thing is going to be to enhance the work you do in the classroom. Check out CurePod. Eric and I are going to tell you about it. But first, Eric, thank you for joining us. For thank you so much for having me. This is oh. I love this the opportunity to kind of talk a little bit about what we do, but also why we do it. That's uh, the why is the big thing for me. And it's, uh, it's such a pleasure being here. Well, let's start right there then, right? Let's get into uh, a little bit of the backstory and then feel free to just let that pour into the why behind the work that you do. I would love to. So for everyone listening, kind of, my, my name is Eric. I am a co-founder of CurePod. We're from Norway. So we're a small Norwegian startup. We're six people here in Norway building CurePod. Uh, and when I grew up, I loved school. I, I usually say I was born with a Hermione reflex. If a teacher asks a question, my hand goes straight into the air. And you can figure from that as well, I'm a big Harry Potter geek. Uh, that's my other big passion in life. And basically, I went through school having a great time. I went to a high school with a lot of people that really loved school as well. I got to kind of experience how school is when it's really fun. During my time in high school, I, I founded the Norwegian Quidditch Association. Uh, like, but that's kind of, I really got to kind of expand on that kind of geekiness and loving school. And therefore, straight after, I went straight into working in education. Then I got a scholarship to work as a teacher in Mozambique. So I went to Mozambique and worked as a teacher there, which was a totally different way of teaching, but gave me some great perspectives. And... After that amazing opportunity, I went back to Norway, understanding that I wanted to figure out how the world worked. So for natural or unnatural reasons, I started studying economics. Uh, and uh, my first year in uni, I met a guy called Jens. For those of you who have met us, he's the other guy in the orange pants uh, walking around in the US promoting CurePods. He's my co-founder. And we really hit it up. I'm a morning person, so I wake up early every morning, I'll go to his house, I'll uh, wake him up, make him some breakfast, and we'll start working. And I, I love cooking. That's, uh, that's a passion of mine. And I have a lot of passion. I'm a passionate, <laughs> passionate man. And I, we worked together so closely for three years. He's an afternoon person. So when I want to go home and watch Netflix, he, he kept us going. And after that kind of three years of really deep collaboration, he told me that he had actually dropped out of high school. And that became a big question mark to me because he was the smartest person I've ever met. And being that kid that really loved school, I never knew anyone that dropped out. I, I didn't know anyone that thought about dropping out. Right? And trying to understand what happened to Jens was the big thing. And for him, it was all about motivation. He lacked the why. Why am I here? Why am I learning poem analysis? I'm sure a lot of people can kind of connect to that, having, having thought that exact thought sometimes. 
And so he liked agency. And we figured we both had a real passion for education and we wanted to create a tool, an instructional tool that made it really easy to create 21st century skills. What we saw was that there were a lot of great tools out there in the edtech market, but most of them came from that kind of knowledge retention era. And there is a lot of really important time to check for knowledge retention, but there wasn't that much focusing on the 21st century skills, questioning, arguing, critical thinking, creativity, collaboration. So that's what we wanted to do. And that's kind of why we got into Curapod was to make it easier to give students agency. And then after basically doing that for a few years, we figured out a big problem. And that was that when you do rote learning, you can just reuse what you did last year, right? Because you're checking for the same thing. When you do critical thinking and creativity, you need to adapt it to every week, every class, you need to change it, right? You can't do the same lesson with the two classes because one class might really care about koala bears and one class might really care about seagulls. And, and if you're trying to teach them both animal habitats with the same lesson, they won't follow. That's where AI came into Curable. Make it easy for teachers to create lessons, right? They're burnt out make it easy to kind of do these adaptations so they can spend more time in the classroom. And that's in three minutes, maybe my life story and Curable's life story. Uh. Well, I, I appreciate that because in there, as you said, you're going to touch upon the why and, and not only from a personal experience standpoint, as the two of you both kind of came from different ends of the spectrum there with regards to your enthusiasm for formal uh, education, but I really appreciate in that example that there's everything from school can be more engaging. Uh, I heard in there too that educators need more time and that the opportunity for authentic learning to take place really stems from being able to put learners in the driver's seat. And this tech provides space within the familiar framework that teachers are used to, which is being able to present information, but intentionally builds in those opportunities for learners to interact with one another. And so uh, for folks that aren't familiar with what CuriePod is, right? So maybe they've never uh, visited the site, yeah, yeah. seen this utilized in a presentation. Help us just understand the space that this would occupy within a classroom lesson. Yes. So the first step is to call it an interactive uh, instructional tool. It's an instructional tool. So it competes in a way with the old Blackboard, the PowerPoint presentation, the Google Slides. Uh, it's interactive. Uh, so it's in the area of uh, Nearpod and PeerDeck. Uh, so th that's the starting point. And then we can look into two areas. So one thing is what separates Curipod's interactiveness from Nearpod and PeerDeck. And to us, that's one big thing. We only build teacher-based. And I don't like the word teacher-based. What happened during COVID was that a lot of edtech tools really kind of focus on the student-paced systems. Students kind of interact on their own time. And that, that makes perfect sense, right? Because you might have three kids at home and having them all connect to Zoom at the same time doesn't work. What we've seen happen is that this is kind of some places continued inside the classroom. So then you still kind of have teacher-paced tools, but the students are still only interacting with the screen. So I'm saying Curipod is only a teacher-paced instructional tool. I use the word classroom-paced. Because the idea is that why is it only teacher-paced? because the students are interacting with each other. You can't build Curable student based because they can't collaborate. So that's kind of our main focus there is that we focus on activities where the students interact with each other. That might be that they turn to their uh, classmates and discuss. That might mean that 
they all ask questions and vote for each other's questions. It might be that they're sending uh, contributions back and forth. There are different activities in Curapod, right? We have polls, word clouds, open-ended questions, drawing, but that's kind of on the instructional tool. It's a tool for classroom collaboration. We have the fine rule, and that is every activity in Curapod should take around three minutes and give 30 minutes of in-classroom engagement. So Curapod is there to do the things that it's easy to do with technology spark engagement among the students that are not engaged and kind of manage the whole classroom, right? I, I usually say that you can be the best teacher in the world, but you will still, one, never manage to have 30 kids raising their hand at the same time. And even if you by some miracle manage that, you can't have 30 of them answer the question at the same time. That's scary part. The rest is up to the classroom and the teacher. That's, that's where the real learning happens. It's when teachers and students interact. Oh, and uh, that makes me reflect on my own time in the classroom. And honestly, some of the best questions and moments are the ones that lead to no hands going up. But you can see that folks are really spending some personal yeah, reflective time trying to process. And that often when that type of question is asked and that type of learning opportunity is available, uh, it does benefit to have them, students, have the opportunity to verbally process that with others. But I, I think that as you shared that, when you talk about whether you draw or you could individually respond through a device for that matter, there's such a push right now in our work, at least, uh, to try to find different points of access for students to, to be engaged. And so by diversifying those practices, it's really going to reach more learners and create more opportunities for that engagement that you're talking about. I love that this is intentional, right? I guess is what I'm uh, hearing as you're going through this. Yeah, it's, we usually say it's designed to remove social blockers. There is a million social blockers in the classroom. And I wish I was more, or I don't think I would have been able to be more aware of them when I was in school because I was young. But I wish I was, right? Because I reflected so much of kind of how I contributed to the classroom environment. Every time I raise my hand, there are five students thinking, I don't need to raise my hand because Eric is raising his hand. But there are also a few students thinking, I don't want to raise my hand because the teacher is probably going to call on them because, let's face it, Eric always answers. But then after she's called on them, she's going to call on Eric and kind of have the addition to their answer. And there are so many of these social blockers, just the fact that I, I'm what you would call a fast thinker. I'm not smarter than anyone else in the room. I just think fast which means that if someone asks how do you do this, I answer at once. And I have learned through experience that there's always two or three people in the room that is a lot smarter than me. So if I just shut up so they can have time to think, they will give a great answer. And all of this is what we try to build into the CurePod activity, kind of the how to remove all the different social blockers so we actually get everyone participating. Full inclusion, that's kind of the but we define for it. That's, that's the big passion. That's from the start, our kind of mission was how can we build a tool where Eric and Jens can participate in the same lesson, discussing the same questions, even though they have so different motivations to be there. They work like we work on a really different way. So that's, that's been the big passion. Well, and speaking of different approaches, uh, I would share just from my own experiences with CurePod. Someone said to me, you have to see how this works go to the site. So I log on and there's a little prompting asking me what I would like to present about uh, as the educator leading the lesson. And so I would type in a topic and let's just say the Battle of Gettysburg. 
And then much to my amazement is probably the word that I would use because it was, I mean, I just found myself like almost speechless with this. All of a sudden this creates, as you mentioned, an interactive instructional tool, slide deck in some regards, at first glance at least, that has curated through that all the different information that I would maybe want to start a presentation like that off with. Super impressed that there were images that were at least likely- They hit 50% of the time, right? Yes. 50% of the time they hit the mark. <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty good though. Like, honestly, I, and and then within that, these activities that you're talking about, and, and I want to bring it up and, and clarify for listeners here, because when I've used other tools in the past, I end up needing to be the one who finds all that information and enters it as the classroom teacher, right? And then I also need to know when to build those types of pauses for activities in. And this at least offers some suggestions with the flexibility to modify that, but it happened almost instantaneously. Uh, and, and so that's what we're talking about today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and I, I, I lo- love the way you bring it up because first of all, I'm amazed about it myself, but what I know is, and this is kind of for the people using it, it will be a hundred times better by Christmas. There is so much in my backlog right now. There is so much coming. But the idea was, and what you're talking about there is how we use AI. So, so as Andrew just mentioned, you can create lessons about any topic of, in the world with AI inside Curable. So I've just been talking about the interactivity, but that's when you're in the classroom. The first part is when you create your lesson. And the reason why all of this is there is basically what I've said in my introduction. It's creating interesting 21st century lessons are really hard, right? Like, as you said, Andrew, kind of figuring out those questions to ask, how to make them so you always kind of, why do you ask this question? Do you want to bridge the curriculum they have to know with what they care about? And that's what we're trying to do with the AI. We, we help you be creative. You're the content master. You're the teacher. You're the educator. But we help you be creative. You can go either into Curipod and say, I want a full lesson about the Battle of Gettysburg. But you can also go in and say, I want a lesson hook for also, the Battle of Gettysburg, that might be something that people are interested in learning about. But for example, for instance, if you have a more boring topic, you could do, I want the lesson for animal habitats, right? Why, why should I care? And that's kind of how we use AI all the time. We try to change the design process you need to go through as a teacher. Because you as a teacher, you're the one that knows I'm teaching animal habitats. I'm teaching animal habitats to a class that doesn't necessarily care about why do we learn about animal habitats but you know they think wolves are really cool. Okay, then you make sure your lesson about animal habitats are about wolves. And that wasn't possible before AI, because then you have to use, either you make it yourself, which we all know takes a really long time, or you would have to go through a kind of a database and look for pre-made lessons. But they would have lessons on animal habitats, not lessons on wolf habitats in uh, California or, awesome habitats in Texas, right? And that's, to me, the power of AI. We help you make as personalized lessons as you want to. So that brings up one of the, I feel like, features, uh, which is incredibly prominent. And like you said, is such a time saver and allows us to get really specific with the type of 
information we're able to put together really at the press of a button uh, and the questions too which certainly can I was actually working with a group of teachers yesterday uh, who were working on some inquiry work and said they this one individual had spent the last half an hour just trying to write the questions for the week-long lesson that they were putting together because it is a challenge and so it's great that there's tools out there that'll at least help you do that for something that specific right in case you can't just go out into the ether of the internet and try to find those from someone else no you can't uh, <laughs> yeah, it gets it's that's also time consuming. It's almost easier to make them your own. Um, so with that, though, you you mentioned so this could certainly be for hooks in particular. Uh, what are some other features of CurePod that are marked improvements over? So cool. So we have we have a lot of different stuff. So we, of course, have mm -hmm. a lot of cool lesson generators. They create full lessons. But then you can also go into categories. So you can, for instance, go in and see, OK, take a look at our ELA category. There you can use all our, we call them generators. Generators is basically something you, something that creates something really personal. So we have a would you rather generator. You can enter any topic you want and it creates a would you rather activity. It's a poll, but it creates kind of the question and the alternative. The students love it. And then if I then go into the ELA section, I can see, okay, we have a, a writing prompt activity. That means you feed it any topic. I was in a classroom a few weeks ago where they used to do Romeo and Juliet. They were learning Romeo and Juliet, and they also wanted to practice writing. So they went into Curapod, having to create a writing prompt about Romeo and Juliet. Curapod spit out, rewrite the balcony scene as if Juliet never showed up. Uh, that's a fun writing prompt, right? And then you just press play in Curapod, all the students connect, and they get the text fill, and they all get to write. And you do this writing exercise in three to five minutes. And you can go really deep when you're personalization. But then we also have started working on some new really cool generators. And that's generators where you, instead of giving it topics, gives it input. So for ELA, for instance, we have a generator that's named compare and contrast. You can enter any text you've been reading with your students, and then the AI reads through the text and create compare and contrast activities based on your text. And then we took it one step further, so just Really recently, we released a feature where you can, it's called Upgrade My Lesson. So you, you click on it, and then you upload any presentation you have. It could be from Google Slides, PowerPoint, PDF, whatever. And what CurePod does then, it reads through it, and it creates interactive activities inside it. So it basically, it purifies your lesson. That's, to me, going to be really powerful, both because it saves educators a lot of time, but also because you can be 100% sure of where the content comes from, right? You have full control over kind of the content in the lesson. So I'm really looking forward to see that taking off. Uh, I love learning about that, which we spoke about a little bit before we started recording today. The first district I worked in was Microsoft. And so I got very skilled at PowerPoint at that time. And then when I went to another district where it, we worked from a Google workspace, I fumbled through uh, moving to slides and it was very difficult to bring some of those previous pieces over. Uh, and so to make this seamless, all right, and then to have not only the opportunity to bring it into CurePod, but then uh, the fact that the technology goes through and will embed some of these upgrades <laughs> is what I would say to that particular lesson. That's just so impressive. And to think that this is just getting started too, as you mentioned. Uh, yeah, there there is so much fun stuff coming out. It's uh, yeah, We are a six-people team, right? We have to prioritize, but the list is really long with, with some really cool things that's going to... Again, the goal is always one, 
create more engagement in the classroom and to give the teachers more time to actually be inside the classroom or be with their families in the weekends, right? Because that's where the time comes from, right? It usually doesn't come from paperwork. It, it comes from weekends, like Saturdays and Sundays. And just make sure teachers have more energy when they're inside the classroom because it doesn't matter. I, I, I almost want to say it doesn't matter what questions they ask as long as they have energy to ask questions and, and have the students thinking, right? That hardest part of the job of the teacher, but one of the most important, is to kind of facilitate this discussion and thought process within the students. That's when they learn. Well, and I love how thoughtful you all are across those various fronts. I guess my next question would be to ask, you said there's a list of aspirations of what's coming next. That list is created from, I'm assuming, your interaction with users. As We'll talk about ISTE here in a little bit, which Kirapod will certainly be there. But yeah, maybe speak a little bit to your interaction with the education community that leads to these new aspirations and your support as well, maybe at the same time. Yeah. Wow. That's a really interesting question. And, and we work with a product philosophy that is we want to solve big problems for teachers. That's kind of the first goal. And then we look at ourselves as facilitators. And I have a background in education. I'm not telling the rest of the team that we are building this because this is good pedagogics or we are building this because teacher wants it. It's nice that I have a background in education, but the teachers that teach today are the one who's going to tell us what to build. And that's why we're facilitators. One thing is, of course, we spend a lot of our time interviewing teachers. That's just talking through. But even better, we like observing. So when we figured out, we wanted to expand from Norway. What we did then was I sent out a thousand emails to schools in the UK. I sent out a thousand emails to schools in New York and a thousand emails to schools in Texas asking, can we please come visit you? And I spent so much time finding them. Wow. That was like two months of my time, right? Just finding these schools that seemed really great, wanting to visit them. And we heard back from, from a lot of them. And I spent two weeks on the road in UK, two weeks in New York, and two weeks in Texas with the team just visiting schools. These amazing schools that allowed us to, to come and just, we didn't, we weren't there to promote CurePod. We weren't there to actually test CurePod at all. We were just there to sit behind in the classroom, see how lessons work. And that, of course, told us kind of, we wanted to go, go out of Norway. Like teachers are really similar, education is similar, but it all, also kind of, that, that's how we built CurePod. We make sure everyone spends a lot of time inside the classroom, just seeing kind of what's the big problems. When does the lesson holster? When, what's the biggest pain points? And equally important to make sure the developers in Curipod spend a lot of time in schools. That's maybe not too obvious, right? Because they're maybe not the one that scopes what we're building. But if our developer doesn't understand what type of Wi-Fi the schools have, they don't have the same Wi-Fi we have in our office. What time of screens are they using? They are not displaying it on high definition screens. So they're displaying it on projectors from mid nineties, right? You need different color contrasts for projectors from the mid nineties and, uh, and high resolution screens. And all of these things are just like, everyone should be just breathing kind of school. That's, that's the philosophy that we spend so much time there. And uh, it's also the best part of the job, right? As I, as I opened with, I used to say I have the Hermione reflex. And that's my biggest problem when I go out visiting schools, that even if it's a third grade class, I have to sit on my hands because uh, otherwise I really want to participate. <laughs> I think it's fun. 
Well, okay, this is a little off script here, but I am curious. Having visited schools in different parts of well, the world, for that matter, from what, what your formal education would have been, and, and knowing, knowing too, that you were in, was it Mozambique? Yeah. Okay. I would love to learn just a little quick compare and contrast. Like, what is something you took away yeah. uh, from that season as you went out? One yeah. thing I personally took away from going out is Mozambique was, um, first of all, it was quite hard being a teacher under the concept of African time, because my class never showed up at the same time. So I sometimes had some third graders and some fifth graders, and sometimes I had some fourth graders. and some... So that was uh, one challenge. But I think the real good thing was that we're really good at using real world exams, which to me is really important and really connecting with the students. And then comparing the Norwegian system and the US systems, I think there's a lot of pros and cons with both. One thing that I really like about the US system is that you dare to talk about learning differences. That means that you can focus on that. In Norway, learning differences are a bit like you, you know who, uh, or Hugh must not be named in, in, uh, in Harry Potter. Like, you know it's there, but you're not supposed to speak about it. And there is, of course, really good reason for it. It's, it's the goal of full inclusion, but it also makes it really hard to differentiate, right? We don't have any differentiated classes. You don't move up a grade in Norway. The idea is that everyone should learn to be the same. And there are really good things about it, but it also have negative consequences. I think, to me, kind of the most interesting thing to look at when I, when I look at school systems is, is that in Norway and Scandinavia in general, we have made a huge change towards soft skills and actually measuring soft skills. The idea behind it was basically that why do we have multiple choice exams and stuff like this? It's because it's easy to do objective testing. The problem is that the, the material it's easy to objectively test is probably the least important to learn because this is the skills that AI can do so well. So what they did in Norway a few years ago was that they removed most of that kind of hard skills from the curriculum and left it with soft skills. Like in history, you're supposed to learn to discuss conflict, discuss impact, discuss causes. It doesn't matter which examples the teachers are using. If they want to use just two worse as their examples, that's okay. If they want to teach the whole world history, that's okay, because it's the skills the students are supposed to learn. Uh, but of course, the downside of that is that the testing becomes less objective. It's more subjective. But they made it, in Norway, they made a choice that it's worth it, because then we can teach the skills we believe the students need. And this is the change I'm really curious to follow in the rest of the world. To me, this is kind of my, my biggest interest, is to see how is this developing? because it's ultimately what we're testing is what determines the school system, right? You can tell the teachers to teach whatever you want, but if you're testing something else, that's what we will be teaching. Uh, you're speaking my language, really, because our ESUs were service agencies and occupy kind of as intermediaries between the Department of Education in Nebraska and our school districts. And to give an example, and actually this is where the example I alluded to earlier about visiting with the teacher who was writing questions, for social studies. Um, several years ago, there was a shift, yeah, in the way in which our standards ask for classroom teachers to lead with inquiry, to ask more questions and let that be in very much the way that you framed it there, the driver, right? Like, like put them in those positions to do that. Uh, this is not true of all social studies teachers, but there are those out there who have been teaching for 20 years uh, who have their slide decks that have covered those. Now they can just upload 
Now they can just <laughs> upload it to Curipop and just become inquiry-based teachers in a second. Exactly. I was hoping we could go. Nice. See, you're quick. You get to the thing before other people. I was setting that point up. I'm glad you uh, <laughs> spiked that. Or I should learn to shut up. <laughs> that was great. I, very on brand. That was really good. But but <laughs> the service agencies, what we try to do is is help to onboard those teachers to some of these changes as they come about, right? And that's just sort of an ongoing effort that's made uh, as best practices continue to evolve. And so, yes, here would probably be an example of how to do that. And I, um, I know that we kind of have a limited time left, but I do want to ask a little bit more about that whole, as someone who is co-founder, CEO of a tech company in this AI space, uh, I know that uh, country to country, there are different feelings about what access they want to give learners to AI in a K-12 setting. So could you kind of speak to what you're seeing as far as yeah. the barriers and also the just in terms of access with being able to allow students, because everyone just thinks it's just chat GPT, this AI thing, we're blocking it and it's over, but there's so many more tools out there uh, that it's going to yeah. almost be impossible to block it if that is your disposition. So that's a super cool question. And I'm going to answer it in many layers. Go ahead. Let's, me. Yeah. But I'll, I'll try to make every layer really concise. So first of all, I think there is extremely important that we teach students what AI is. So before I take a stand kind of whether you should have them use AI in education, as you said, there are hundreds and more AI tools coming out every day out there. So they will face AI. And what's more is they will need AI. If I'm hiring someone to do social marketing and I say like, you need to make a social marketing campaign and their first answer is not is I go to ChatGPT. That's a big problem for me because you become really efficient with ChatGPT. So both because they're facing it on a kind of personal life, but because they need it as a work skill, students need to learn about AI. So that's kind of my, my first thought is just that no matter whether you want to use it or not, they should learn about it. And that I see quite unanimously around the world is, is quite well picked up on, right? It's, of course, how fast you can move, right? It's uh, because that's the hard thing for teachers, right? Because students need to learn about it. Teachers need to learn about it. The rest of the world can just ignore AI. Teachers can't because students need to know what it is. And I'm not saying this because I feel like, oh, teachers that don't understand AI are bad. Like 99% of the population doesn't understand AI. I'm just saying, I'm understanding how hard of a task it is to be a teacher right now because students need to learn about AI. So that's the first thing. And then it's utilizing of AI. And there I like to separate between utilizing it as teachers and as students. I have a big understanding for actually any action a school does because there are a lot of good reasons to not use AI because of privacy and stuff like this. But there are also a lot of good reasons why you should use it because it's beneficial because you need to learn it and you learn by doing. So I usually say like, start out with using it with teachers, just to allow the teachers to become comfortable. And that's what we're seeing in a lot of different states in the US. We see it in Norway. And Curipod is built like that. Curipod is a tool for teachers. That's by design. We want the teachers to be the one using the AI. And then I don't think we're ready for a world when you allow the students to learn directly from a chatbot. Because there we get the same problem as we get through social media. We have no control of who gets what information stream. Uh, so I don't think we're ready for that yet. And that's, I also see we see some similarities with Europe and the US there. Uh, kind of, they feel we're not ready for it. 
But I still think, and that's my personal opinion, that students should interact with it in a classroom controlled setting to be able to learn about what it is. So when it comes to differences, I feel like the differences are not so much country to country as it's district to district, basically. You have districts in the US that does it entirely different ways, and you have districts in Norway that does it entirely different ways. Uh, in Europe, they're regulating some parts of AI really heavily, other parts not. And in the US, they start regulating some parts of it, but maybe other parts. So again, it's kind of, it's lack of knowledge, right? Because no one knows what's there and what's coming. And that's, that's the hard part AI facing us to change is that we need to have a more flexible school system. Because we might see just next November, there might come something that revolutionizes things even more than ChatGPT. So if we've spent the last year just catching up to ChatGPT, we haven't come one step further. If we make the systems more flexible, that's kind of, in my opinion, the solution to the problem. I think you did an excellent job of answering that across the layers, because that does very much appease the curiosity uh, for the question, uh, or at least the, the heart of that. And I'm so grateful that we had a chance to chat today to learn a little bit more about this and to enhance curiosity, to help further educate educators right about what is available to them out there, but also just this broader conversation. Um, I, I think I think that would be my best tip to anyone who wants to learn about AI. Play with it, right? Do something you think is fun, right? If, if you're a social studies teacher and you are really interested in the Louisiana Purchase, then test different AI tools. Go into CurePub, go into ChatGPT, see what it can give you, see how it can enhance what you do because you care about it. And when you care about it, it's not learning, it's just fun. That's, that's the whole kind of idea of CurePub. But also just try out other things. Like the first thing I did with ChatGPT, again, I'm a Harry Potter nerd. I went into ChatGPT and I said, you are now a text-based Harry Potter game. Take me on a journey through Hogwarts. I spent four hours just chatting with ChatGPT and it described kind of everything that happened. I was in the Forbidden Forest. I made a lot of choices and it was really great. Like I just wrote stuff like Protego and it envisualized kind of how that charm for anyone out there listening, like loving Harry Potter, that's a steel charm uh, going into the geeky stuff, but, but kind of just, being able to just explore that kind of geeky side was just so fun. And I've, I've tried when I write articles now, I go into ChatGPT and have it interview me. I write, usually you are a journalist from New York Times interviewing me about this. And it asks me questions. So have fun with it and, and start exploring that way. Yeah, and I think that really speaks to the whole conversation too about why it is important to tinker with things because you start to learn how to prompt it and that whole idea of being a prompt engineer and uh, that really it, the system will match your creativity. I think that's a great example of how to do that. And yeah, on a personal level too, I try to at least use it once a day. That's where I'm at. Like in some way, shape or form, I want to be learning or moving forward in one aspect of what I'm doing uh, at all times. And so we let that be a call to action. Another call to action would be sign up for CurePod, which where can people find you? Uh, and what's the process once they so get there? To sign up for CurePod, you go to CurePod.com and create your user. Almost like the only limitation on the free version is that you can not create unlimited lessons, but you can use all the features. You can play around with it as much as you want. So it's really easy to get started. So that's the first thing, just sign up, but then come meet us because we love speaking with educators. We are traveling around the US all the time. Our next stop is that ISTE. We are easy to find. I always wear my orange pants 
So uh, I, we should be easy to spot. Come by, have a conversation, tell us kind of what you want. We're super eager to hear. And the third way you can do it is we have an accelerator program for schools and districts that really want to learn more about AI. It's on our website. It's a really great way of having a facilitated introduction to AI. So yeah, just talk to us on Twitter, wherever you find me. Well, and I appreciate having reached out through some of those avenues that you took the time to visit with us for today's podcast. And so uh, thanks so much. I look forward to connecting with you at ISTE. I'm look forward to meeting you there. Yeah, it'll be fun. I, you clearly be easy to spot orange pants. <laughs> yes, good to find. Uh, thank you so much. And hopefully, yeah, we'll look forward to connecting soon. Thank you.